Hi everyone, and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast where I unfold, with the help of my amazing guests from around the world, how sustainability practices are integrated into business operations in various industries. My name is Anna, I am an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and a host of this show. Today we're talking about the family of ISO standards, and in particular the ISO 9001 standard on quality management system, how to achieve customer satisfaction, and sort of we also draw the portrait of a successful ISO auditor. We will learn the benefits of the certification, who takes the final decision to certify or not to, and whether it's possible to get through ISO certification without guidance. My distinguished guest today is Pierre Servan, owner and principal ISO consultant at Factor Quality. He's helping companies achieve or maintain ISO certification, resolve quality issues and improve their systems in the most practical manner. The company, Factor Quality, develops, implements and maintains simple management systems with the aim to foster continuous improvement at all levels of an organization. I'm super excited that Pierre decided to join us today at Sustainability Explored. Can't wait to start our interview. But before we do, you can use this moment to subscribe to this podcast to always be one step ahead with the sustainability news across countries and industries. All right, are you ready? Let's jump right into it. Hi, Pierre. Thanks so much for joining me today for this uh, interview episode on certification. I am super happy to welcome you on Sustainability Explored. And I'm always curious to know where my guests start their journey in sustainability. So if you could please introduce yourself and your background and how you got in the field a bit more to kickstart this conversation. Hi, Anna. Thank you for having me in your podcast. As you mentioned me, my name is Pierre. My full name is Pierre Servan. I am the principal consultant and owner of Factor Quality based in Southern California. Orange County or Irvine that is the, to be the precise location of, of uh, our business. And we support businesses throughout the, not only Southern California region or the Western U.S., but also throughout the U.S., as well as uh, some international assignments every once in a while. We basically help organizations build uh, quality management systems adhering to ISO 9001 as the basis of our business. Also, we help other businesses in enhance with quality management systems, environmental management systems, as well as uh, health and safety management systems that are related to other standards, such as ISO 14001, ISO 45001, as an example. And then in the quality side, we go into more specific or industry-specific quality standards, uh, such as AS9100, AS which is for aerospace, or IATF16949, which is for automotive, just to give you a few examples. My career, how we got started, basically, I've been involved with ISO standards since I started my career. As soon as I got out of uh, college, my first job was uh, with an agency that provided training seminars on uh, ISO 9001 at at the time. Funny enough, I I was brought in um, 
to support the sales office in, in Los Angeles uh, with the intent of also supporting the office into going into being that Los Angeles is fairly close to Mexico to help uh, expand the business into going into Mexico. Because I, as I mentioned to you before we started the, the interview, I'm, I'm Peruvian. So my Spanish skills uh, came in handy and uh, made me an attractive candidate for a position. Right. Little did I know was that uh, within a few months of me starting that, that position, I was asked to start support, supporting a consultant in the deployment of actually ISO 14001, which was a brand new standard at the time. Environmental um, management. The environmental management system, indeed. So I started supporting the consultants on that uh, because we had, uh, being that it was a brand new standard, the, the expertise uh, was very limited. And certainly having uh, expertise and being bilingual was a rare commodity or, or very rare at, at the time. So my ability to understand, obviously, and speak both languages came in handy. And that's how I got started with, with the standard. And I discovered that at the time in, that I had a really good um, knack to, to be able to translate, I'm not talking now in languages, but to translate the technical aspect of the standard into simple terms. And that was also detected by the, the consultant, which immediately turned around and said, hey, you better train this guy you need to understand more of the ISOs. And, and that's how I actually got into the ISO world in this quality, the technical side of it. And basically, I've been doing um, quality implementations of quality systems since uh, the year uh, 1999 or, or so. I held a number of uh, different positions uh, along the way. I started, as I mentioned, as, as a consultant helping companies at the time in uh, 1999. I also did uh, third-party auditing at the time. So I went around and doing audits and basically enabling companies in providing the recommendations so, so that they could become certified. And then at one point in my career, I decided I had enough of traveling and I actually wanted to learn a little bit more about the, the whole quality uh, field and move on to a position that was at a, as a quality engineer, still involved doing ISO, if you will, maintaining a quality management system as a part of my responsibilities, but also exposed me to all of the quality field in a, in a manufacturing environment. Mm-hmm. Little did I know was that also as, as part of that experience, uh, it provided me not only the experience with uh, growing and understanding uh, ISO 9000 uh, as a quality system or being on the other side of the table, if you will, but also a greater exposure to also environmental items, as well as a really strong foundation to uh, health and safety. In the year uh, 2011, um, I departed uh, the job and found myself uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, at a personal level. And I always wanted to have a business. Decided that at that time with my wife, it was a good time for me to, to try it out and see. And so Factor Quality starts uh, or is establishing in, in the mid-2011. And we've been in business since. And we focus in helping mostly small companies to deploy the quality management systems in a very, uh, we try to approach it in, in, a, in a very uh, as simple as possible manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, ISO standards are voluntary. They're not compulsory in any country of the world, as far as I know. What is the portrait, so to say, of your client? Who wants to implement ISO certification from your experience? 
For my experience and that the customers that I deal with for the most part at this time are clients or customers that all of a sudden they are faced with a contractual requirement, uh, whether it's a customers uh, basically putting their foot down saying, no, now you really have to become a ISO certified or if you want more business out of us, you need to become ISO certified. Or in many instances, there's small companies that are trying to secure large contracts, whether it's through uh, private means or in, in the U.S., sometimes through uh, government contracts, they find themselves that they need to have the standard deployed in order to be able to compete for the contract. So it's a, it's a door opener. So mm -hmm. that's the, the great majority of, of, of my customers that come to me is because they have that need. To a lesser degree, I do have some customers that do recognize the standard as a toolbox, if you will, or as a good guideline uh, for them to start formalizing many of their activities or their processes. And they like to use the standard as a means to, to help them do that formalization in their business and have a, and, and you know, the, the fame of ISO 9000 or even all the ISO standards in terms of uh, when it relates to bit, to business and quality management uh, or management systems, I should say, is the, the focus on documentation, you know, and that's not really the case anymore with uh, ISO 9000, but the, that tag or that mentality still exists and a lot of companies think that they need to have the documentation in place in order to uh, formalize their processes as well as to in, in some instances, be the platform to enable them to further grow their business. Mm -hmm. I am personally uh, ISO 14,000 certified, so environmental management, and 45,000 mm -hmm. health and safety. But 900 quality, that is still a big mystery to me. So you say it's not really, in my mind, it was documentation and mm, documented processes so that everyone who's coming, any new person can, can jump in and continue doing, you know, continuing with the same uh, quality level. But if it's not about the documents, what is it exactly about? There are two main goals behind the, the, the ISO 9000, in my opinion. And this one is to drive to ensure that you achieve customer satisfaction. And that's the main driver. And that's something that was introduced in the year 2000 when the ISO was revised uh, 20 years ago. And it has actually helped a lot of companies in really stay focused on what's important to the business as it relates to customer satisfaction. And the other element that is associated with, with ISO is a lot of people think, uh, and I see many times it's, it's really mis misused because People will say, or companies will promote that they're ISO certified, and what they say is that oh, our product is, is is ISO certified, and that's not such a thing. You know, you, what you're certifying, the certification is not a product, but it's related to to the processes that help build the product. So what ISO really does is uh, not doesn't guarantee you achieve a high level quality product if you don't want it, but what it it uh, it can help you achieve if done correctly is consistently achieve the quality levels that you need in order to sustain your business. Mm -hmm. And could you describe a little bit, expand on your work when you enter, when they approach you, what do you start with? How, how, that, how do you work with the clients and what's the final, the, at the end you 
you guarantee them that with you, together with you, they reach, reach to that point of certification? Or where does it start and where does it end? Okay, so there's a few layers to, uh, in terms of answers to, to, to your question. So when they engage us, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to take the example of a company that doesn't have a quality system and they're in the situation that I, I described before where they all of a sudden they have the need to become a ISO certified in order to secure a contract or in order to maintain a customer. So we go into, into the company and we identify what are the key processes of, of, of the business and immediately start identifying what are the potential gaps that the business might have. Surprisingly enough, for many companies, they already are satisfying ISO 9000, usually around anywhere between 60 to 70 or even 80% of the, of the time in terms of their activities, the way that they conduct business. That percentage becomes higher if the business has been around for a long period of time. So, which translates or indicates that ISO 9000 requirements is really predicated in, in good business practices. So what we help to do is identify where are the activities, where they're already complying, start bridging uh, the gap in terms of what things need to be implemented or what we like to say is what things need to be adjusted in order for the, the business be, to be in a better position to show compliance to the ISO 9000 requirement. But what we do is not really focus on the ISO requirement, but take that requirement and turn it around in, in a manner that it's going to make sense to the business. So that when we are implementing, it really makes sense to the people that are going to be involved in implementation of, of the requirement or the, or the standard, or, or to really just show, hey, this is not too much different from what you're doing. It's just a matter of doing it in this particular manner. And here are the benefits to do it in this way. Now, let me give you an example for, for that. As I mentioned, one of the things that, um, that drives ISO 9000 is the drive to customer satisfaction. You can measure customer satisfaction, but the other side that you need to be aware of is the, the level of or the instances where your customer is not satisfied. And that usually takes a form and shape of a customer complaint. Many companies nowadays will handle a customer complaint, simple, through, a, through an email. Customer sends a complaint in an email, and people that receive the complaint will, will do the right thing. They will take care of the customer, resolve the issue, and basically move on. So that's what we're faced when we go into a new implementation is saying there's no formal process to, to manage a customer complaint. Doesn't mean that you're not taking care of your customer, but in the worst case scenario is it's all buried in, in, in email. So what we try to do as part of the implementation is to put a system in place that, or processes in place to, so that it's, it can be managed in a more transparent manner, if you will. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea is to say, hey, yes, you, you're doing the right thing, but you know, how often do we get complaints? You know, how much complaints are costing you? And those are sometimes questions that either business leaders or business owners will, want to know, but they never thought about it. But in the back of their head, things that they probably want, want to know, but they never had the means to do it. So there's the value of doing this. So that's just an example. We take them through the whole process. Uh, so we implement the system. And so at the, at, at the end of the, uh, of the engagement, they, they do have a documented system. You know, so there's, uh, we, we do put some documents in place to show how the system uh, what the structure of the system looks like, you know, what the, the basic requirements and tenants of the of a 
that system is going to, how it's going to be supported. Help them build the evidence to show that their, their system is, is working. And how we conclude the, the, the engagement is through uh, a couple of things. One is we conduct a, an internal audit, we call it a, a self-assessment to show how, how things are, are implemented. An internal audit process is also actually required as part of a, an ISO system. As you all know, for 14,000 and 45,000, that's a requirement as well in, in ISO 9000. And we en- enable them or coach the, our clients perform something that is called a management review, which is basically, I like to think about it in, in terms of ISO 9000, almost like it was an operational review, taking a look at the whole system and how their processes are working. ISO requires them to have a metrics or KPIs, objectives in place so to tell them how well and how effective their activities are. So a lot of the, the management reviews is focused on, on, on looking at that data and Teach them how to also how to make decisions in a meeting. It's not just a reporting meeting for for us, but also trying to show they make decisions and move your system forward. So we try to keep it as simple as possible, but also showing the importance of doing this. At that point, when we complete all those steps, then the company is basically ready to engage or go through what we call the certification steps which in ISO, we have the stage one and stage two audits. And to answer your question, in ISO, I think for in, in the industry, and it has been driven by a lot of consultants as well, you know, and we say, hey, we give you 100% guarantee that you're going to pass ISO 9001. And many times when I'm being interviewed to, for projects, I'm asking, you know, what's your, what's your passing rate? Mm-hmm. And I think that's also, it's, it's a little bit of a mis- uh, Conception. Misconception. Because the truth of the matter is, by the time that you get to a stage one audit and you're successful in uh, completing the stage one audit, which is basically a readiness review, uh, that basically gives you the green light to move on to a stage two audit. And when you move into that stage two audit, you already know you have a system in place. That's the whole intent of the stage one. And even in worst case scenario, if you're in that stage two audit, you don't meet the, let's call the audit objectives because there are findings or non-conformances, you are given the chance to address those non-conformances and to bring those to closure within a timeline. So what I like to say is in, in ISO, you really don't, there's no really no pass or fail. Can you fail? Yes, of course. But people that are companies that fail their stage two auditor, I like to say there are some companies that really wanted to fail. You know, so and what I mean by that is when they got to the stage two audit and they were told, here are the issues, you're giving 30, 60, 90 days to bring it to closure. So now bringing those items to closure, it's either a lack of attention by the management team or, or, or that business, or they completely lose interest on, on doing this. So they, they kind of settle with the status quo. Like. Exactly. But all of a sudden, you know, the certification became not important or the, the requirement to uh, be ISO certified became not important. So they, they lost focus or, or they never wanted it to begin with. And, you know, they were kind of forced into it. Uh, I have seen that happen. Um, About this, forcing into it. Can you recall any, I don't know, curious cases, weird cases where... I don't know, they, they pay you money as a consultant and they declare their desire to be certified by 
at the end, or from the beginning, you see that it's not going in the right direction for some reason. From where this force could come? It's, it's a very tough uh, position to be in. <laughs> I know, that's why I ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I've I seen it where basically they tell you're here because we need a paper on the wall. But who, who wants this paper? Some uh, man, the, management guy? Management. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, because I do work with some other um, partners where I, you know, I'm not involved in the, in the, sales, in the sales process. So I, I have come in basically as a consultant. And actually early on in my career, that, that, that was probably sometimes maybe the case as well because I was just a, a consultant. So not involved in sales what, whatsoever. And I could have shown up to, to a place and, and say, I'm here to help. And you said, like, you're not wanted here. <laughs> Even I, I do recall one instance where I showed up as a third-party auditor to perform a, a pre-assessment. So the equivalent to what, or similar to what a stage one audit is nowadays, but early on in the ISO times, they were called pre-assessments. And I got there and the actual, the actual management rep was not, and the management rep back then, it was basically the person designated to, to manage and implement the, the system. So I showed up to do an audit and I had communicated early on that uh, you know, the, the audit was coming, but I got there and the management rep was not there. By the time I got there and, and basically I got a communication from, uh, from him, says, oh, I, I thought that you were coming in to, to see if we could become certified or not. So there was a lot of... Uh, misconceptions going on at the time, especially in the, in, in the early 90s, when, uh, or early and late 90s, especially as ISO started uh, trickling down into uh, medium-sized and small-sized uh, small businesses. Mm-hmm. Who takes the final decision whether a company is certified or not? Oh, good question. So it's not the auditors. Let's get that out of the way. So auditors work for accreditation uh, certification bodies so these certification bodies are and you probably many of you have uh, seen it all around you know, depending on what side of the world and, and in the past they were also called registrars but nowadays are, are more named certification bodies these are private businesses many many times some of them are sponsored by especially in, in Europe some of them might be sponsored by the country but most of them are, are private and they get themselves accredited through, and, and that accreditation is a national accreditation for, for the most part, that basically gives them the license to do the approvals of ISO. So when a, an auditor leaves the site after an audit, they will provide a recommendation. That's the result of the audit. It's a recommendation to become certified or a recommendation to continue certification. That recommendation is sent in to the to the certification body and they, a committee, a group of people will review the recommendation. What I like to say that what that review entails is basically an audit of the audit. Mm -hmm. Uh, They basically review that there's sufficient uh, evidence provided by the auditor to, to support that recommendation. And that's when the certification decision is made official. And those certification bodies, they are accredited by the ISO, the International Organization on Standardization that is in Switzerland. No, <laughs> it's confusing. <laughs> it is. The, you could think about as the, the ISO organization as an entity 
that is basically there to manage and issue the documents. And they provide the guidance, but they stay outside the, the accreditation world, if, if you will. They might provide guidance on how accreditation might be done or whatnot, but they do not provide the, it's called the, the approval to the different bodies or accreditation entities around the world. Yeah, how do, how do these accreditation organisms, bodies, that finally take the decision whether it's ISO certified or not, from where do they emerge? Above the certification bodies, there is something that is called accreditation. And you could almost think about it between the certification body and the ISO entity, there is a, a, another body in between, and that's the accreditation bodies. And those are the ones that kind of uh, make sure the, the certification bodies are performing the, the right task and are licensed, if you will. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that's a big thing in our industry because there's quite a bit of businesses out there that present themselves as certification bodies, but they're not accredited. Boom. Boom. <laughs> it <laughs> is very confusing. I'm glad I invited you for this interview. And, and, and a lot of these companies that are, uh, do this type of work, some of them, there might be some good intentions, but most of them are preying on that small business owner, just like the one I, I just described you, that where they're desperate because they need to have a contract in place. So they go into Google and, and they look for ISO consultant or uh, ISO 9000 help or whatever they, they, how they search for Google. And all of a sudden, one of these companies appears in their search. They click. It's very cheap to do it. Mm-hmm. And it could be done within two weeks. That should be the first red flag right there. You know, a lot of these things can be done fast. Yes, it's not impossible, but it's very hard. Mm-hmm. So a typical ISO implementation uh, can take anywhere between 30 to 60 to uh, more typically 90 days to up to 180 days. You know, and if companies are doing it on their own, it's not rare for to hear companies say, oh, it took me a year or a year and a half to do. That's why the consultants exist because we're able to kind of bridge that time you know, because of our expertise and, and whatnot. But a lot of these companies, what they do that are not accredited, they say, well, we'll get you ready in two weeks. And, the same, and many times it's the same consultant that help you out is the one that is going to give you the ISO approval. That's a, that's a no-no mm-hmm. in, in our industry. The way I like to explain it to people is when you have companies that do that, is you are going to somebody that tells you it's a doctor, but there's no, nowhere around in, in their office or in their credentials telling you that they've been accredited as a doctor. Yeah. Here is the question. Standards by definition, are something universal. When you are deployed to assess and audit the, let's say, metallurgy industry and agricultural, some factory, I don't know, producing, you name it, something, mm-hmm. how do you translate this universal document, be it 900, for example, 9000, sorry, ISO 9000, translated onto two different or even more different industries. Do you have special people specializing in, in those fields or are there some universal rules that you apply? There are universal rules that apply. And that's what makes this business very interesting because we're able to change hats really, really fast and be able to see a whole different 
industry or, or business every day or every other day. So we just having the specialization in a particular industry help. Yeah, it, yes, it, it can help, you know, especially when you're trying to uh, deep dive into a particular issue. And if you want to be of help to a particular uh, business, uh, that, that background and that experience certainly comes in handy. However, it, when it comes to, to ISO, it, it touches almost all aspects of business. So I like to say that basically from the moment a customer sends you an email or calls you and tells you or expresses interest that they're interested in your product or service to the moment that you agree with that customer to deliver and provide that product or service to how that product or service gets uh, realized, produced, manufactured, or provided for, delivering it to, to the customer and then closing the the delivery loop, if you will, that's what basically all businesses have those processes in one way or the other. And somewhere in there, there might be some businesses that might have uh, purchasing to, to support the, the manufacturing activities or services that, you know, to get critical uh, components or critical services to support the, the activities. Some other businesses do have an entity within the business uh, well, you call it engineering, where you call it design engineering, where you call it R&D, that is basically responsible for the development of, of product. And all these activities, when we looked at from an ISO perspective, the, in terms of requirements, the requirements are a high level enough that, are, as I mentioned earlier on in an interview, they are really dictated on good practices. Mm -hmm. And that's what we look for, is are those good practices in, in place? And and instead of coming in with saying this is what I and that's the error and sometimes where the a lot of the friction is in the industry is because you have to go in there and, and look at it from the perspective is how is this company meeting that requirement instead of this is how it ought to be done. And there's multiple ways to fulfill those requirements. And so what the companies have to do as they're deploying this and as they grow with this is ensuring that as they're implementing processes or making changes to their processes, especially if they're already ISO certified, is am I still meeting the intent of the standard? And for the most part, as I mentioned, they do. You know, otherwise, it would be hard for businesses, you know, as I mentioned, not to comply with ISO, even though they've been in business for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Here is the question. Theoretically, like I know from last time I checked, any standard can be bought for 30 to 50 Swiss francs uh, from the official website of ISO.org. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, is it possible that the company decides to buy the standard and successfully implement and receive the certificate all by themselves? Yes. What would they need to do that? It is possible. As a matter of fact, the early implementations of ISO, that's close to how it was done. So the beginning of ISO, when mostly large companies did it, they bought the, the standard, and then they sent either, typically it was the quality manager, but it might have been the quality manager and some other engineers or clerks, or have you, somebody within the quality department. They were sent to training, you know, two, three uh, days, five days of, of training, they came back with the, the knowledge and they, they went at it. And, and it will take them maybe 
you know, six, eight months a, a year. Typically, it takes uh, somebody that is doing it on, on its own anywhere between a, a year to 18 months to get it completed on their own. So it's, it's still possible and still companies still do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, just recently, I, I got an inquiry from somebody that all they wanted was our support to come in and help them with their, their internal audit. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is a, a company that has probably around, I, I want to say around 30 people. And this person got hired to implement the system and that's what they were doing. But he, you know, it got to, he's getting to the, to the point where we're not, uh, I don't want to audit myself. Uh, I'm pretty sure that what I've done is, is good, but I want to have another set of eyes come and look at it. And that's how, why they reached us. It's like, could you come in and help us to do the internal audit to make sure that things have been uh, implemented correctly? Ah, okay. So that was that pre-audit to check whether they have done things correctly, not for you yeah, to... Yeah, this is actually... This is actually... The internal audit itself is a little bit more than that pre-audit. It really goes in-depth. For, for example, for a company that has uh, 30 days, I might spend two days doing, doing that. Really, you could call it an in-depth review. What the certifications body do is roughly a day. You know, some of them, they, it runs between anywhere between a half a day and a day to just make sure that they, you have a system in place. They don't really dig into the details. They just want to make sure that there's a, a system in place so that when it comes time to do the stage two audit, the certification audit, someone of a high confidence level that you do have a system in place and you're not going to be wasting uh, your time nor wasting their time. Mm-hmm. And how much time is there between audit one and audit two? Is there any time constraint at all? I actually, depending on the standard, there sometimes are constraints and usually those are limited, usually about 90 days. Uh, I, I believe, and I, I might be incorrect with this because now it escapes me, but ISO 9000, I don't think, just ISO 9000 itself on its own, I don't think there's necessarily a, a, a time uh, limitation. However, what I like to do in, in in the case of my clients, I like them to have the, the stage two between 30 to 60, 90 days maximum in between. Mm-hmm. According to your professional judgment, top five personal traits of ISO consultant. You could see those reflected in, in the values of our business. You know, we believe in integrity, being resourceful, uh, knowledgeable, helpful, and flexible. Mm-hmm. I would start with integrity too. I mean, it was almost vibrating in my mind. And, you know, to, to wrap up this interview, if there is someone listening to this interview right now on the podcast and the, the person becomes inspired to do the job that you do, where would you suggest him or her to start educating the person on the subject? That's a good question. There are so many resources out there that can be used and, and, and readily available to, to anybody. So there's multiple websites that you could go to and, and, and some of them are more specific or you know have uh, expertise from consultants or experts in, in, in the matter from different regions of, of, of the world. In terms of uh, quality itself, you know, belonging to Groups in the case of the of the U.S., uh, the American Society for Quality, it's a very good resource because you could get really good, reliable information from there, as as well as not only just things in in quality systems, but also in the whole quality arena, which is relevant because eventually a lot of 
obviously a lot of those things do start, end up co connecting themselves, especially as you move into very sophisticated standards. So having that resource available to, uh, to yourself is good. And then there's multiple levels of trainings that, that you could attempt. Right? And uh, nowadays with the different uh, technologies available, there's the flexibility for you as a consultant or, a, or just somebody that wants to learn ab about the subject matter to, to use that are disp uh, available to you. So with, depending on your learning style, you know, you're, you're somebody that uh, is cap quite capable to, to learn just by looking at a presentation and listening to somebody speak over the computer, that's available to you. Uh, but also there's more traditional uh, deliveries of, of, of training through seminars. And a lot of people, including myself in, in many instances, do value the seminars because it gives you a chance to interact with other people and see other people's experiences. And uh, that to me, it's valuable in terms of uh, learning uh, the subject matter because it's when you look at the standard, you know, as, uh, as you mentioned, I think in, in dollars is around, hundred. I don't remember if it's a hundred, let's say $150. And one, uh, a very common reaction that I get from people that are, uh, uh, when I first go into into a company or after they first get the, a copy of their standard after they, they bought it and they spend $150 on, on a standard and they say, I got this. It's really thin. It's, are you sure this is the only thing that I need to get? <laughs> um, yes. So the standard itself is, you know, around, I don't know, 25, 30 pages of the actual requirements it's very dense, it's very general, very gen generic. So when reading it, the first time, if you never read it, you, it, it will not make sense. Yeah. It will not make sense and it's hard to start making the connections between what the standard says and between what the standard says, what the intent of the standard is, and then how does that apply to your business? Yeah. Or well, how do you apply that to different businesses? Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah. What does it mean in real life? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had some experience with implementing IFC performance standards. Also, very generic, um, applicable to every industry. You name it and you can retranslate it to, to that industry. And when people mm -hmm. ask me, yes, but how exactly did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. You... <laughs> You merge them together. <laughs> I don't know. But it's true. The standards, they are very, because they are generic and universal, for the sake of being able to be applied uh, to all these different industries, they, are, they have to be simple. and you, Well, not simple, but yeah, universal. In general, yes. <laughs> general. In that aim of trying to get things so general, it has left it so cloudy, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, that that's where we as consultants come in and try to provide uh, as much clarity as possible. And guidance, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would probably add uh, system thinking to your list. How to, to practice for the person who wants to do something in that field is to really start practicing systems thinking and Oh, well, it's funny that you mentioned general it. overview of things. It, it, it's true. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, and I'm going to do a, uh, I apologize uh, if this was not permitted, but I'm going to do a personal plug-in. But in my LinkedIn page, uh, my personal LinkedIn page, if uh, anybody cares to look in my profile, 
as you go in, in there, you'll find a video about systems thinking. And that's actually a video with my family, with my, my two daughters. So, so they're highly trained, uh, or like, like I would like to say, they're highly untrained actors. <laughs> <laughs> but we, sh we show systems thinking with uh, using Legos. And it's about, I think, maybe, uh, no, I don't recall, maybe it's no more than three minutes. So if you're interested in seeing how system thinking uh, works and how it can help you, that's a good uh, video to, to look at. Totally. Everything is permitted here. You know, since <laughs> I am the boss, I decide what content goes live. <laughs> and yeah, I, I love this freedom of decision making. Uh, thanks so much, Pierre, for this uh, yeah, for sharing uh, this mystery of ISO certification, how it works, who certifies, who comes in between. Uh, I'm glad I finally got you on this interview. I mean, <laughs> every time we had to postpone, it was my fault. But yeah, great, great interview. Thanks so much. Uh, all the best of success with your company, Factor Quality, which I mistakenly called factory quality <laughs> typo, I promise <laughs> um, yeah thank you again well Ciao. Anna thank you for, for having me and thank you for giving me a platform to, to discuss and, and, and talk uh, obviously about a subject matter that is uh, dear and close to my heart and uh, I look forward on, on seeing the podcast uh, being released totally yes thanks so much Ciao. Ciao. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I hope you loved listening to this episode as much as I loved working on it. If you have any questions for me or Pierre, please don't hesitate to ping us on LinkedIn. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, share on your social media and leave us a review on the platform you're listening on. I would appreciate a lot if you rate us on our Podchaser page and leave a review there. I reply each and everyone in person. By taking your time to give your honest feedback, you help me improve the show and you also help more people interested in practical aspects of sustainability to discover this channel. I always suggest some other related episodes and today I'd like to point you out to the episode on sustainable business models with Anna Itkin. I mentioned it briefly in the interview. Other than that, of course, we have a lot of exciting episodes on this podcast covering a range of topics from flowers and buildings to bedsheets, fashion, economy and ecotourism. Of course, many, many more topics are covered. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, suggest guests or topics that you'd like me to cover in the future. I would gladly accept it all. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 48, and me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, next Thursday, as always. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.